Hello and welcome to The Last Looks Podcast, a show where we catch up with talented hairstylists and makeup artists in the film and television industry. We'll pick their super creative brains and find out all the good stuff. Join me, your host, Jamie Lee, in finding out what's what in the hair and makeup departments around the world. And now, a word from our sponsor. Welcome to the Last Looks Podcast, Sammy. Thanks. So nice to speak to you again. Hey, now with all the lockdowns and working from home, I have to say that self-care has become more important than ever. It's become so normalized and definitely helps keep us sane. So do you have any tips and tricks on how we can practice self-care with Hask Hair Care? 100%. So if you feel like you're struggling with new ways to keep yourself busy and can only reorganize your closet so many times. One of the easiest self-care routines is to get a deep conditioning treatment and slather that bad boy all throughout your hair. I'll actually do this at least once a week with a Hass mask and it'll make me feel good instantly. Oh, good idea. I mean, now is definitely the time, if any, to experiment and find which treatment works best for your hair. Yeah, for sure. We have so many hair masks to choose from. It literally doesn't even matter what your hair type is because they completely cover the gamut. So whether you need immediate damage control, maybe a boost in shine or split and mender, we got you at Hask. I love that. I'll sometimes reach for the Argan mask post bleaching my hair for a little TLC. Yes, that's our OG mask. I mean, again, they're all really good and super easy to use. The formulas are ultra restorative, super rich, and free of all the nasties. So the best thing is that with the way the world right now, you can multitask while you mask. You see what I did there? (laughs) (laughs) I would say to grab a pack and start masking while you watch your favorite award show this season. Those 10 minutes will fly by. Yeah, it seems like something easy you can do while working remotely too, huh? It's the perfect thing to do while working from home. I mean, do you really need more of an excuse to not have to put your video on for a Zoom call? I'm actually wearing the coconut mask as we speak, Jamie. (laughs) Sammy, good one. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you and Hask for being part of the podcast today. Thanks for having me. And if anyone in the TV and film styling community ever needs help with supporting any projects that they're working on, send us an email at hask at stonemanagement.net and we'd be happy to help. That's awesome, Sammy. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And now, our feature presentation. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our bonus 2021 Makeup and Hair Oscars special. We have five of these beauties lined up for you to absorb and enjoy. I'm so incredibly grateful to all the guests on these bonus episodes as I understand how precious everyone's time is. When they're working full-time on a project and being bombarded with interviews, it can all get a little overwhelming, I'm sure. So for that, thank you, thank you, and thank you. For each of the five bonus episodes, the nominees were all asked the same questions. So if I sound like a broken record, that's because I am. But as you'll hear, their answers are all very different. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Pictures up. Last looks. Rolling. And action. Welcome to the Last Looks podcast, team. Oh, thank you so much. Happy to be here. Thank you so much. We're so happy to be here. 
Amazing. And may I say a huge congratulations on your Oscar nomination for your work on the film Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Thank you. Isn't that incredible? (laughs) (laughs) So excited. It's incredible. Now let's start with some introductions. So if each of you could tell us your name and what your position on the team was, please. That'd be awesome. I'm Jamika Wilson and I was Viola's personal hairstylist for Marani and I'm still her current personal hairstylist. Amazing. You mean she didn't fire you after the movie? That's what you're trying to she say. She didn't fire me. <laughs> I'm still holding on. Thank God. <laughs> All right, my name is Sergio Lopez Rivera, and I am Viola Davis's personal makeup artist. Amazing. And will you let us know who could not join us today? We also have Mia Nils, which was the department head for Ma Rainey, and she could not be with us here today for the podcast, but I'm here for her. Yay! We're going to cover her. Yes, we're going to cover her. That's a teamwork right there. That's awesome. That's right. Okay, so my first question to you guys was when you first heard the news that you'd been nominated, what what was that first thought that went through your mind? Mm. I first screamed so loud. I screamed in a pitch I never knew I could make. It was the most stressful beforehand because you realize they're going from 10 movies to five movies, you know, mm-hmm. and, and why why wouldn't your movie be cut out, you know? And uh, I was just thinking a lot about the other teams just waiting to hear the same news. So it's it's a lot of tension. And when you hear your name, I mean, I freaked out. We were actually, Jamika and Mia and I were all together in a Zoom call when it happened. And oh, that's it was so unbelievable. Cool. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. What about you, Jamika? What was that first thought? Oh, my God. My mind was just blown. <laughs> Never in a million years did I ever think that we would be nominated. No, you know, I had a feeling I was hoping for the nomination to the top five, but the feeling of actually getting it was just really mind blowing for me. Um, I have no words. You know, the whole day I had to pinch myself. Mm. It was like, wow. And then, you know, I was saying like, God, really? Did you already know this? You know? (laughs) (laughs) I was just, it was just exciting. That's so cool that you guys did a Zoom together so you could hear it all, you know. Oh, yeah. That's cool. I mean, we are very close, and so we just help each other constantly. I mean, and so this was such a moment for all of us. And also, there was a special caveat there for Jamika and for Mia, because if they got this nomination, they would be making history, which they did. Yes, that part, that part. So... (laughs) That's yeah. why I really was walking around all day pinching myself, I... you know? <laughs> That's awesome. Do you want to explain to our listeners what that is? So, yes, we are actually the first African-Americans to be nominated for hair from the Academy. So that was, you know, that's a, a big deal yeah. for our community. And it's just very exciting, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Yay! I just think of little black girls everywhere just looking at you, Jamika and Mia, and going yeah. like, I can do that. I can actually do that. That is a possibility for me. You know, I mean, that is so true. The power of of representation is huge, huge for a kid. 
It really is because, you know, me doing, you know, when I started out as a kid doing hair, my friends were going off to college and I wanted to go to cosmetology school. So it was like, you know, okay, you're going to go to beauty school, that type of stigma thing with it. And then, you know, it also, it it just validates that hairstyling is a career. It's a craft. It's an art form, you know, Mm -hmm. and you can be recognized and you could take it in so many directions. So I'm just really, truly honored and I'm excited and I'm happy that, you know, young kids can see that, you know, this is a career as well, pretty much. Very cool. Absolutely. Yeah. When the film was released and it came time to think about submitting your work to the Academy to be considered, what are some deciding factors, do you think, that made you go, yeah, yeah, let's do it? Well, first of all, you have to realize that when we're doing this work, when we are in Pittsburgh in the summer of 2019, our biggest concern was to just get this job done well. We, you know, Mm. you're not thinking at all that one day. Somebody yeah. might think the work that you've done is so good that, you know what I mean? Like, this, this is not, it's not a reality for, for me and Jamika is, are we having tacos again tonight or not? <laughs> that was the biggest decisions we had to make on a daily basis, you know? But when the first day, I think Jamika, uh, correct me if you, or, or tell me if this was the same for you, but for me, okay. it was the night where we were filming the tent scene, the, the, basically the opening scene where the camera goes from the forest into the tent where my rain is singing and and the camera continues all the way for an extreme close-up of her face singing and so when we filmed that thing that day everyone around us seemed to have like these goosebumps like like something magical was happening happening like something good like just this communion of all these departments came together in a way that was really inspiring it was just an unbelievable night and so that was the first indication that I had that we were doing something extraordinary. Yeah, I have to agree with you on that because I remember riding up in the in the van. You know, we had to wait for nightfall. But we were riding up in the van and you can see them rehearsing, but there was all this fog and then you could see them mm. running through the woods. And it, it really, it literally gave me chills. It was like, you could almost smell. Mm. You could smell the hay, you could smell the dew. It was, it was magical actually actually seeing that stage set up with the extras, you know, yeah, it was was that point where it felt magical and special. Yeah. I agree with you. That's very cool. I love those moments on set, the few Mm. and far between, but when it happens, you're just like, yes, this is where I get to be. This is amazing. Yeah. (laughs) I remember, as a matter of fact, I remember that night led to to a couple of very funny moments because that night we we were filming all night and I think we were done around 4.30 or 5, 5.30 in the morning or something like that. <laughs> and we just went back to the hotel and I was so pumped with adrenaline. You know what the, that happens? Sometimes it happens even in a photo shoot when everything like works, when everything just clicks together and you realize you just created something. And I was so filled with, with adrenaline that I couldn't sleep very well. And so eventually, I guess I managed to go to sleep. Then Jamika and I went down for breakfast, uh, cool breakfast at like 1.30 p.m. We went down to our favorite taqueria downstairs. downstairs. And I think, you know, I mean, we had like a, a couple of flights of margaritas, you know, for breakfast at 1.30. And I mean, it was just like one of these, uh, you know, basically we were we paid for, for that adrenaline shot the entire weekend, basically. It was just, right. uh, it was a great, a great, a great moment. Yeah. 
That's okay. awesome. Now, talk us through two characters, and I know that you guys were mainly looking after Ma Rainey, Viola, but um, if you can maybe speak on behalf of Mia and the rest of the team, I'm not sure how you feel about mm-hmm. that, but if you want to just concentrate on the one character, that's absolutely up to you guys but i'll just let you kind of talk us through everything from the hair and makeup from research and development through to just daily application yeah i think for for us because you know as you know when you're a personal you are a little bit isolated from you know all the prepping that goes for the bigger picture and Mm. so for Jamika and I, we were doing a lot of work before we were traveling to Pittsburgh to do our first camera test. And so the design, our design, once we met Mia, you know, met with her and Anna Roth and everything, our design was very much ours. We were not truly checking in with anybody else. We were just doing this design. But at the same time, the entire makeup and hair departments were doing or had been doing their own research, of course. And so we were all coming. It was one of those a uh, rare moment where two people doing two different kinds of prepping came together with very much the same the same idea you know mm-hmm. and so i remember matiki um, who uh, is the department head make, uh, makeup along with carl uh, fullerton i know that she said to me that once they saw what we had designed for for marini they kind of understood that they needed to tweak a little bit also on their end so it was a beautiful a beautiful coming together of these creative minds, you know. I would have to say too, on Mia part meeting, I remember our first test and we were doing wardrobe and everything and, you know, the padded suit and all that. So we were trying to really just focus and get them all together. So I met Mia and discovered that, okay, so Mia's the department head. She's going to be designing, you know, the looks for the whole movie. And so as far as Viola's concerned, she was my main, you know, she was my person that I worked on for the whole time. I didn't work with any of the other artists, so I can only speak on her behalf. But I do know that during Discovery, you know, back in the 1920s, that the women wore horsehair wigs. And the purpose of doing that is, we believe, and after we discovered working with the horsehair, is that it holds it and maintains its curl once it's set. So being that Ma Rainey was traveling on the road and doing a lot of different shows on the road. That's why they had the horsehair wigs. Also, Mia designed the wave look. I think what I remember Mia talking about that is, is that because, you know, Mia would would, uh, would hand over the wigs to Jamika and then Jamika would put them on and style them and maintain them and all that stuff. Right, but right. they discovered that the, the, the horsehair wig almost replicated what a, a modern day synthetic wig is, which is basically you don't have to worry about restyling it. You can throw it in a bag and pick it up again. And I think it made sense. That's when you guys discover that it made sense for a touring black woman that didn't have access to certain hair salons that she would have a wig that she could just stick it right out of the bag and put it back on and it would always maintain its style. It was a work it, of art that wig, by the way. It was a work of art. It was a that was that was a shake and go type of <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I <laughs> love the shake and go. It makes total sense. Yeah. That's awesome. Right. Like, yeah. And I do know, too, it's a very wiry texture to Mm -hmm. it, but it it makes sense, too, because the horsehair wig gave you like a a frizz to the hair, which made it look very natural for African-American hair. So it it was amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. She did a, a beautiful job. 
That's very cool. I wonder how difficult it was to ventilate that hair, it being so very so much thicker, it was, right? Yeah, yeah, it was very difficult. She did say that being that the the horse hair is so coarse that she mm. had to do one strand at a time. Mm. Yeah, yeah, so it was very difficult. And also that the, when she bought the horse hair from Etsy and the provider uh, was oh, yeah. in England and it came in a box. And basically what the, what it looked like they had done is, you know, basically tie the, the horse tail and then just cut it off and just, just ship it, it just like that. And yeah. because it had been stored for a long time, what Mia discovered when she got the tail was as she's trying to put, you know, pull the strands apart, that they're all sort of like stuck together with dried up manure, you know? And so, (laughs) you know, so this became so much bigger than, than, than anything, you know, she had to protect her home, protect herself in order to like continue working with this thing and had to boil it and do all kinds of things to, and then discover that instead of being able to put two strands at a time, through the lace yeah. so she could only do one and so one imagine strand. doing a one strand wig from you know i mean from anyway it's, yeah. it's a it's a work of art and then you you saw it on her i remember when he was sitting on the head in the trailer and i just touching it and it was like wow this is an unbelievable it, wig you know it, yeah and you know too with the wig we noticed you know a lot of people think that it would be hot and heavy that the mm-hmm. wig was very light and I, maybe that contributes to the fact that she did one strand at a time yeah. but it was very lightweight and then also another thing you like you mentioned Sergio with the manure she said there was manure lice you know she lice had to boil eggs, the yeah. hair clean it you know <laughs> yeah really put it through, put her through her paces it sounds like <laughs> yeah. and it was just so beautiful but it just made sense and also how different the the horse hair wig was from the European hair wig that she wore for the Absolutely. rest of the movie you know yeah. so beautiful too but Absolutely. I remember what Mia and we can talk we can talk about this if you want Jimmy but Mia's decisions creating these two wigs came from all the research that we did and the understanding of the personality of this woman you know Mm. because there's Mm -hmm. so so little facts known about her her life somehow went mostly undocumented and it's crazy to think you know that she's credited for basically starting this genre of music and to have such little documentation on her is, uh, you know, astonishing. And so, you know, when we were able to start building the character, you know, and uh, the way that, you know, like b- basically I start with uh, historical facts around that time. You know, what, what was it like to be in, two, in 1920s Chicago? What was it like to be a woman of color in Chicago, uh, a Southern woman in Chicago, somebody who was dark, dark skin as opposed to, you know, maybe a more palatable, lighter color skin that was, you know, more accepted. Like none of these things, you know, she just had a difficult time having access to to makeup and wigs and hair salons and everything. So all of that informs your decisions as an artist of what you're going to create, you know. And so this woman written by August Wilson, but also from a few of the contemporaries, we put together that this was someone who was aware that she was considered the ugliest woman in show business that she was trying to because she uh, uh, you know aside from the fact that she had so many limitations just from being a black woman Mm -hmm. she also had more access to more things than most black women because she was you know a well-known person she was a celebrity she was she had money Mm -hmm. she had access to other things and so uh, Mia decided that she would 
she would have wanted to have the finest sort of the finest waved wig made with the most luxurious European, European hair, hair as well, yes. you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, she would, she would be basically, she would put, she would put this armor on to mm. go into the world. And so she would have the best of everything and she would want you to know that she had the best of everything. And so she would wear every piece of jewelry she would own, she, she owned at once. So all mm-hmm. of her rings were on every single one of her fingers and she would wear her most luxurious clothing. It didn't matter if it was a hundred degrees outside, she would have a velvet gown, a, a, a fur color, you know, a hat, like everything. She just, she was basically a, a billboard, like a walking billboard advertising, you know, don't mess with me, you know, mm-hmm. I am all that, you know. And yeah, and she definitely believed that too. Although yeah, people she definitely didn't did. think she was beautiful. Ma, she believed she was. Exactly. Yeah. She was she <laughs> she was the sexiest woman in the room, is what Viola says. Viola says, yeah. in my brain, I was the sexiest woman in every room I walked in. And it comes across that way. Mm-hmm. It does. You know, it's it's amazing. So Sergio, talk me through her makeup a little bit more. How would I describe this? Through my, uh, first of all, I've always, I mean, I've been obsessed with the 1920s and other periods, you know, my whole life. But this was a very interesting dive into this time because I had to see it, not from the cosmetic and aesthetic point of view, but from all the things that Ma didn't have access to, you know. And because she was a woman of color in the 1920s and the, the makeup or the cosmetic industry although new was already thriving, didn't produce, you know, cosmetics or a lot of product for women of color. As a matter of fact, mostly bleaching creams and some sort of uh, loose chalky powders. That was all that was really accessible for uh, or designed or targeted towards women of color. Everything else was for Caucasian women. And so uh, somebody uh, of color would have to find what they can use that's designed for white women and whatever you can't you know for example like you know uh, any woman could wear a red lipstick you know so Mm -hmm. it didn't have to be designed for black black people but the rest she would have to fill in the blanks by creating making things herself you know and so that is i wanted to incorporate some details that i remember my my grandmother telling me about women women's access to cosmetic during the civil war in spain in the 1930s and uh, she used to tell me that they used to squeeze beets and berries to create blush or lip stains. And also something more dramatic was burning the, the, the end of a, of a cork, a wine cork, and rubbing it with some petroleum or even animal fat sometimes to create a black cream that they would use as eyeshadow. And so <clears throat> I wanted to do that sort of DIY look. I wanted to be informed by the lack of access that Ma Rainey had. I also wanted it to be informed by the fact that Ma Rainey came from being a almost a child or, or an early teen performer in vaudeville. And so mm-hmm. her training wheels were in very theatrical makeup. Also, the fact that she was not happy with the fact that she was as dark as she was. So, like, her makeup was always off a little bit. You know, she was always... Especially when she performed, she would have a you know a, a lighter. Uh, she would try to you know to to hide her darkness a little bit. And then you know one one of the things that helped me the most in terms of this transformation was I was so happy to read and to actually see one of the rare, rare photographs that she have that we have of Marini 
but she had a mouthful of gold teeth. And so mm. I called my friend Vincent Van Dyke, who you know has worked with Viola before and has her teeth mold and everything to create these uh, these dentures for me. And after a couple of different choices, we we settled on the ones that you see on screen. And uh, so that was important because I needed to do something to kind of erase the 21st century smile of Viola Davis. So, mm. so beautiful, so bright, so well-known, you know, and also something that we all know as makeup artists that has a great dramatic effect is to change the shape and or the thickness of your eyebrows automatically just sort of changes your, your face, your bone structure almost. And so when I erased her eyebrows and painted them sort of like, it, it almost looks like it's done with a marker, you know, and they're a little elevated in the center. And then they just travel down towards the temples in a very long way, the way that it was fashionable for actresses and singers at the time. And so those two things, the gold teeth and the eyebrows, I, I, I credit for being the most uh, efficient steps I took to make Viola disappear. But everything else... Like, you know, the, the sweat is also an important character choice that conveys a lot of the things that you don't get to read on the script. You know, the struggle, the heat, the claustrophobia, everything. So the sweat was, as Jimika knows, one of the very important steps, but it was also one of the most challenging in terms of continuity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was about to actually move into that and ask you guys what you found your biggest challenges to be during filming. So oh. continuity, I guess, because what it takes place mainly over one story day, right? Yeah, yeah. So, over one day. Yeah. Actually, that was my main challenge, making sure that I kept up with the continuity day to day. You know, being that Mom Rainey was on set and there was not a lot of setups, you know, as far as we were in this, the studio the whole time. Mm. And, you know, coming from outside into the studio and doing that day to day, she's taking a hat on, she's putting the hat back on. Then, you know, we had the sweat, you know, constant sweat keeping the waves dry and keeping them in place that was my biggest challenge especially because the main focus was on Ma in the studio camera right in her face so Mm -hmm. I had to make sure that I paid close attention to the continuity yeah the continuity is so important especially when you're doing everything in one day but you're filming Mm -hmm. that one day in 40 days you know (laughs) so it's essential because everything essentially everything is a direct cut you know Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I remember with Jamika. Jamika, actually, this actually is a great story because it happened on our first day. The first day that Viola worked was the mm-hmm. day where we filmed that sort of fender bender scene outside the studio oh where she's God. sort of confronting the, the policeman or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. there's a moment where she's wearing her little driving hat, which I love that hat. And mm-hmm. then she just gets really mad and takes it off, right? And when she takes it off, the back of her wig, or the back of her hair loses loses the set instead of being sort of tight around the you know around her head it kind of lifts a little like it would naturally like like it would naturally happen and so right. uh, you know Jamika had to make sure that whenever we were filming her coming finally coming into the studio that her hair wasn't perfect that it was perfect. That it, it carried that disheveled quality of the yeah. scene that had just happened but it was those two scenes as we know in this business were not filmed continuously yeah that was that was a time when it was hot that day too I remember it was it so hot, hot. Yeah. god i mean that's the thing and it, it, people say it's like well it was already hot it's like yeah but which if she sweated for real 
like that was a problem for my fake sweat, you know. Yeah. So, uh, so it, because it makes a challenge for my own continuity. So for me, it was easier if the sweat came mainly from you know my bottles of fake sweats versus yeah. versus her own. Yeah, have more control. Yeah. Um, what do you guys feel as some of the like? Did you guys learn anything? What did you learn? Lessons learned. Oh God, I love um, this question. I can say my lesson learned was actually because it was my first time working with a horsehair wig. So just learning the texture and how, you know, how it held its curl as far as hair is concerned. That's what I learned. And then also, you know, it was very much so a team effort on on set with Mia and the Mm -hmm. rest of the crew. So, you know, watching Mia, she know, she had the whole hair department. So we had all these extras and she had all these wigs and, you know, setting them, having her, the, you know, other hairstylists come in and set them. So for me, I loved seeing that because I'm still new in the business, you know, mm-hmm. and to see someone with experience and how they have the whole setup. And that was just new for me. And the mm-hmm. horsehair wig was new. So I just really enjoyed that. So that was a lesson learned for me. Right. For me, I have to say, because I just can't get away from this because I've been talking about it so much, but I am so grateful to to have found out that and Jamika can you know Jamika was holding my hand through this whole <laughs> this whole process but to find out how scared I was to do this design oh, yeah. to, I was so scared to do this bold crazy makeup because you know I found it so shocking that when we did you know the original wardrobe fitting and then eventually uh, the the next thing we did was the camera test that I was receiving no notes mm-hmm. zero notes from anyone and so it made me really paranoid because a I didn't believe that nobody would have any feelings about this crazy face that I had just designed but also because I I started going really getting really into my head and thinking oh my god I hope that I hope they feel you know, that they can come and talk to me, even though I'm a personal to Viola Davis and, you know, she's the one who brought me in. I started to like freak out in my brain that they were not, you know, giving me notes because, you know, I'm Viola's personal. And so just think, thinking that I I hope they feel comfortable coming to me. They don't like something because I can change it. You know, I would love to have some direction or something and I wasn't getting anything. And so eventually, two or three weeks later, Jamika will remember this moment. We were sitting on set and George C. Wolf, the director, the, our genius director, came out of the set, this box that they had built the recording wow. studio inside of. And he came out and he calls me over. And I'm like, oh, my God, what did I do? Did I Uh-oh. forget to put her gold teeth? <laughs> did I forget to put the gold teeth in on the last take? Are the gold teeth sitting in, you know, the craft service table somewhere? <laughs> like what? Um, anyway, so I just like, oh, my God, you know, maybe too much sweat, not enough sweat, something. I was just like, it was such a funny moment walking there like like the, the, the walk of death. Like I'm mm. just going to my death right now. And she just grabs him by the shoulders and he says, Sergio, I just wanted you to know that I think your makeup is extraordinary. And so that moment was everything for me because I understood the silence of the previous two weeks. Mm -hmm. And so long story, but my lesson here is I can create even in a state of panic, you know, Mm -hmm. even in a state of super deep doubt, there is creativity. I can somehow thrive in my creativity, even in that, uh, in that uh, sort of darkness, you know, and uh, so that was my lesson. It's like, wow, I 
I really needed to create this, in, you know, from this discomfort. It makes sense to me now, you know? Yeah. It's interesting that uh, when I was coming up in the film industry, it was told to me very early on that no news is good news. So <laughs> if, I didn't, if I didn't hear anything, you must yeah. be doing a good job. You're only right. going to hear about it if it's not good, if they're not yeah. happy. Yes. So. <laughs> I mean, I, I agree with you 100%, yeah. but in this particular makeup, it was unlike anything I've ever yeah. done or yeah. anything I've ever seen, really. And no one's saying yeah. a word. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No one's saying a word. Right. I'm like, I mean, nothing, not a word in one way or the other. And so mm. it just made me, you know, Jamaica, I was like, I remember that too because we were in a trailer, and once you were done, you just turned around and looked at me with your eyes. You were like, Okay, and I remember showing Mia the makeup, you know. So, so you know, Mia, you know, Sergio has the performance looking, you know, this is what we're going with. And I showed her the picture, and Mia was like, Oh, is, is, this, is this where we're going with it? <laughs> I mean, first of all, one thing thing that we must say is that Mia Neal is probably one of the funniest people that has ever walked the earth. That's number one. Um, But when she saw that photograph that I had taken under the fluorescent lights of the makeup trailer, uh, just kind of to show her where Jamika had placed the the headband and all that stuff. Right, right, yeah. And (laughs) Mia looks at that picture and was like, and she's like, do you think I should just get my purse? And she just, was like, know, let's just start packing ready to our go Because we're going to get fired, like, within two seconds. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're Guys, I'm, I'm waiting to get fired daily. I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I've got to be doing something wrong. Like, and anytime oh someone God. official comes to talk to me, I'm like, what did I do? <laughs> and by the way, the entire team, I, I swear, <laughs> We had such a good time every day. Wait, and the did. entire team, I mean, from Anne Roth, Denzel, Todd Black, George C. Yeah. Wolf, Chadwick Boseman, Violet, every yeah. single person was in this as if we were living the best moments of our lives. It was just mm-hmm. such an incredible experience. You know, usually what you hear about when you're working in a movie is like those movies that are like, all night, every night for like 20 weeks. And like, you you know, you were shooting in the worst conditions and it was terrible mm-hmm. or there was some kind of toxicity or whatever. But then the movie ends up being brilliant or whatever. And then if you've had too much fun or everything has been perfect and comfortable, that the movie is going to be a piece of crap, you know. <laughs> but in, this, in this particular case, I think it's so, it's so joyful to be connected with this movie now that it's done while also having the experience that, you know, Jamaica and I, you know, basically carry in our hearts now, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not, it's not trauma. It's um happy exactly yeah, <laughs> yes. i mean i may be traumatized from the no notes for two weeks but you know what that's we're gonna give that to myself you know yeah <laughs> you're getting your notes now sergio okay <laughs> that's right exactly you just got to be patient that's hilarious <laughs> now this can be a tricky question to answer for some people but i just wanted to know what you guys feel sets your work apart from your fellow nominees mm. such a good you want to go jamika well i you know i i mean i can i just you know uh, what sets us apart i think everyone did a, an amazing job you know on the, on the different movies but I think what set us apart is the era, the 1920s, and I think making Viola disappear in, into Ma. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you're looking at the movie, there's no 
distractions. Like you literally believe that she's my rating and the fluidity of the movie. I just think that's what sets us apart. 1920s and Viola disappears. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I agree with that. I I think that this movie could have easily been, you know, in quotes, phoned in, you know, everybody, you know, we could have, everybody could have just done some kind of pretty 20s makeup, you know, which would have been, it's a mistake that so many uh, that I think happens more often than not. But because we did so much research, and I think it just shows in in even in the background that there is authenticity there because we weren't doing, you know, we were doing this period piece the way that period pieces are meant to be uh, explored, which is, you know, not everybody that lived in the 1920s looked like the 1920s, you know? Mm-hmm. Some people uh, carry their look from the p- previous decade or decade, two decades before. Also, mm-hmm. if you are an 80-year-old person in 1927, you're not going to have a bob with, you know what I mean? You're going to have something that speaks more of the time where you you were younger, you know, like all, all those kind of textures in styles that are not copycats, you know, and not everybody had access to makeup. Not everybody looks the same. But also what I think it's important, um, at least from from my my lane in makeup, is that I think we achieved a transformation without use of prosthetics. I think it's pretty cool. You know, as much as I love prosthetics, believe me, and I I so appreciate the genius and the artistry of of my fellow nominees that have used prosthetics. But I'm also really happy that I didn't have time to go down that, that route. A prosthetic because I probably would have if we have had time and the truth is the challenge of transforming Viola without prosthetics was much more rewarding you know the fact that I had to paint every flaw by hand mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know I had to give her hyperpigmentation that she doesn't have <laughs> and you know to just like make her skin not as smooth you know mm-hmm. all of that you know I, I didn't use any brushes I just use my fingers so everything looks a little bit more homemade and and everything. And I just, I think that's what sets us apart is the authenticity of our research and the lack of prosthetics. That is a hard question. Yeah. Yeah. Nice answering. (laughs) Nice response. (laughs) I like it. (laughs) Um, And now... As we all know, it takes a team. So I just wanted to know if you wanted to take a moment to give a shout out to those that helped you on the project. Viola Davis. Viola Davis. We would not be here without Viola Davis. And not because she's our friend and our client and we love her to death, but because she is a unique artist. She Mm -hmm. is a truly unique artist. This is someone, this is an actress who will leave her vanity at home. She is not interested at all in catering to her vanity with any role that she does. She wants to be authentic and she wants to be specific and she loves that. And Mm -hmm. so just by proxy, everybody around her elevates their work because they're encouraged by her fearlessness. And so she is such a leader, but she encourages every single person around them to be Mm -hmm. the best artist that they can be. And it's very smart on her part. It's also, it comes from her heart and the results are like this movie. Just absolutely beautiful. 
You know? Yeah, I, I really have to say thanks to Viola for, you know, I just have internal gratitude for the opportunities that she's blessed me with and just inspiring us to to be great. I just that's really what I love about her and just yeah. the opportunities, you know, yeah. and also, you know, Denzel Washington for bringing Ma Rainey to the big screen. And most of August Wilson's films, he's been working with bringing them to the big screen so that we can see women like Ma Rainey and and learn more about our history out there. So I want to thank Denzel Washington, Todd Black, Mia Niels for her beautiful creation, you know? Yeah. I just want to thank also... Matiki, Matiki, Matiki Anov. Yes. Deidre. Anne Roth, of course, because watching Anne Roth work is kind of my new favorite pastime. I would I would <laughs> literally just sit there and just watch her work. It's an unbelievable process. You should see her. <laughs> Jamika oh has a peek through the window in the makeup trailer when we were at that? base camp. She would just line up all the background, right? All the background that is just going to be walking down the street. She would line them all up, and then she would walk up to each one of them and like tell them their life story. Yes. Like, okay, so you're coming from the supermarket, so you would not have, you know, that lipstick on or whatever. Or you, you know, this button wouldn't be wouldn't be buttoned, or those boots are too new, you could not afford those boots. Like it's so specific. Everything's so specific. And so it inspires you to not cut corners when you're creating right. your own art. You know, it's like, oh yeah, let's be specific. Let's be really, let's go deep. You know. And yeah, I think that's it's the most yeah. the most in my, in my opinion the most su- successful aspect of this movie and why it works so well and why you feel so transformed into another time is because there's specificity in all of the design. Yeah, all the detail. Yeah. So awesome. Yeah, Matiki Enoff and uh, Carl Fullerton. Yeah, yeah, amazing, amazing humans and amazing artists, I have to say. So kind and so generous always. Yeah, yeah and the uh, hair department was Mia Niels and Larry Cherry. Larry right? Cherry. Yes. Yes. <laughs> amazing. And then, of course, Debbie and- Young. Oh, my God. Debbie Young, who was the, the background supervisor. She was the person in charge of making sure that everybody in the background looked great from our side of, from our end of the department, you know? Yeah. And she had her work cut out for her. And I love her because she's also someone who understands that we can't just make everybody look like the 1920s. You know, not everybody has the same access to things. It's like, be specific, you know? I don't know. That's why in this movie, the background looks like almost like, a documentary. It, it, it looks like those people were just walking on the street when you happen to be rolling the camera. You know, it's just one of those authentic pieces that I love. That's awesome. Okay, guys. Well, it has been so insightful to learn more about what it took to get your work on camera daily and in turn <laughs> bring you to this point today, being nominated for an Oscar. Oh, Yay! my God. Oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> Say it again. Say it again. <laughs> nominated for an Oscar. so again congrats and thanks for joining me thank you for having us thank you so much emily it was a pleasure to meet you thank you for links to see more about our guests go to our instagram at the last looks podcast or our website thelastlookspodcast.com if you want to keep up with new episodes being released be sure to subscribe through apple podcasts spotify amazon google play youtube or any podcast streaming platform and remember if you're enjoying the show share it The Last Looks podcast would like to thank Brett Stanley and Sabrina Castro. The song Fun Time by DJ Quads. 
Thanks for listening. Until next time. That's a wrap, people. 